0: I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, it is the second Saturday in the season of Easter. Here we are continuing our feast. There, As I said last week, there ain't no party like an Easter party. This party just keeps on going, 50 days of Easter, uh, only 40 days of, of penance in that season of Lent as we examine ourselves and we look and we recognize our own fallenness. We look at ourselves and say, hmm, all is not right with me. And here are all the ways in which I fall short. Uh, and, and so we then examine ourselves. We, we put ourselves through a, a fast, through fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, so that we can recognize those ways in which we need to grow closer to God. And then, here we are, it's Easter. And so, 40 days, we we go through that season of Lent and self-examination, and for 50 days, we celebrate the glory of the resurrection in Christ Jesus. So, here we are. All the Responsorial Psalms, they give us options, right? This week, the option uh, for today is, Lord, let your mercy be on us as we place our trust in you. And I love that uh that sentiment because it's one that I can identify with that I lord god I'm going to trust you I'm going to trust you in the midst of uncertainty and I'm going to trust you in the midst of um my own fears so I'm going to place my trust in you but please please let your mercy be on me let your mercy be on us oh lord but the other option for the season here in Easter is just to respond hallelujah right and um I have to tell you, I often prefer the longer one because I can identify with that a little bit better. I can identify with the need for God's mercy in the midst of my stepping out in faith and in trust. But the church is also giving us this option and calling us just to praise the name of God by saying, Alleluia. And that's what Alleluia is in Hebrew. Uh, it comes from the word halal, which means uh, foolishly clamoring, right? We are foolishly clamoring for God. Uh, and so that's, that's what we do here in Easter, even though we might prefer to be a little bit more uh, composed, a little bit more understanding of what's going on. It, we're just called to go out with shouts of joy, uh, to, to shout our praise to God. Hallelujah. Uh, in fact today's psalm uh, it starts off exalt you just in the lord now we've just spent the whole season of lent trying to examine ourselves to realize where we have have lapsed in our justice and to step up into justice so so that now when we hear this psalm exalt you just in the lord we're like hey hey that's uh, that's me i guess <laughs> exalt you just in the lord praise from the upright is fitting give thanks to the lord on the harp with a ten-stringed lyre, chant his praises. Alleluia! woohoo! That's basically a way of saying, Yay, God! Right? Uh, upright is the word of the Lord. All his works are trustworthy. He loves justice and right. Of the kindness of the Lord, the earth is full. Alleluia! Right? Are you with me? Can you Next time, I'm waiting on you. I'm going to listen. Okay. See, see, the eyes of the Lord are upon those who fear him, upon those who hope for his kindness, to deliver them from death and preserve them in spite of famine. Ready? Three, two, one. Hallelujah! We're just going to foolishly clamor, even though maybe it doesn't make sense with your life situation at the moment. We're still going to say, here in this season of Easter, I choose to rejoice in the goodness of God. And the psalmist does this a lot. The psalmist is in the middle of very difficult circumstances. And yet he says, yet, yet I will trust, yet I will hope, yet I will praise. And so maybe you're in that place where it's really kind of touch and go. Still, in this season of Easter, these 50 days, you can foolishly clamor, give praise to God with those extra allelujahs. And when you're in, in mass tomorrow and you hear... Uh, the, the music, and you hear the alleluia that maybe drug out a little bit longer depending on who your accompanist is, remember that alleluia is not hallelujah. It's not this uh, this um, somber expression. It is praise, foolishly praising God, foolishly clamoring for God. It's so, tomorrow. Now you probably shouldn't just shout out hallelujah in the middle of church. That probably, uh, someone might think that that was not done decently in an order. Uh, they might give you, give you a certain kind of vibe, but as you participate with your hallelujah, let it rise up in your soul and let it, let your heart be glad in the Lord. Even if the rest of your circumstances don't feel like you should be, just turn your attention to God because he's worthy. he, he, through this Easter season, has redeemed you, put you in relationship with God, brought you to the place where you can participate in the sacramental life of the church and receive the very life of God into you. That's that's worthy of an alleluia, I think. That's worthy of a little bit of foolish clamoring, even if you have to do it in, in the reserved manner or in the, the, the appropriate tone of the song. You can still let your heart rise up to God through that alleluia. Well, today on Outside the Walls, we're going to be looking at now that we're in Easter, we've spent this time in Lent, we've examined our sins. Now we're in Easter and we're celebrating. How do we move forward? How do we develop our spiritual life? How do we grow into the, the, who we're supposed to be this Easter season? So later we're going to be talking with Chuck Neff. He is the, uh, the host of Relevant Radio's The Inner Life. Uh, it's a program all about spiritual direction. And so that's going to be coming up right after uh, right after our first break And it's a a great conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, But before we get there, I want to talk to you about approaching the Eucharist this week, tomorrow, or tonight if you're an Easter Vigil person, approaching the Eucharist a little bit like my seven-year-old daughter who is receiving First Communion this week. This is the first time. She's absolutely out of her mind excited. Uh, and I'm sure that it's equal parts excited for the pretty dress. But she's really, she's really gotten it. She's, yesterday, she said, Daddy, I want to tell you all about transubstantiation. I'm like, well, this ought to be interesting. <laughs> but she did a decent job. She actually did a decent job and we expounded on that just a little bit more. Uh, got in, into Aristotle because that's what a seven-year-old needs, right? Is uh, essence and accident. So we talked about that some. But, she, she understands it to the level that she can. She discerns the body, that here Christ is present here in, in what was bread and wine and has, has become Christ's body, soul, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And, and he gives himself to us to nourish us spiritually, physically, to draw us into his life, his divine life. And she is enamored by this fact, of course, this is my daughter who wants to be a nun. She's seven, uh, and so I mean, th- you have to take that into account as well. But you look at the Eucharist through, through the eyes of these second graders who are approaching it for the first time, who, without question, without doubt, look at the Eucharist and say, "Oh, that's Jesus up there. That's Jesus in in that consecrated host and in that uh, consecrated wine." And that chalice, that's Jesus. That's Jesus up there in the tabernacle. And so, you know, seven-year-olds, they're going to bow differently. They're going to genuflect differently. Some of them do it very perfunctory because this is what you're supposed to do. But seven-year-olds get a sense of wonder. They, they still have uh, that that just sheer awe at the world in general. And and so to watch to watch this seven-year-old girl approach the Eucharist, realizing that this right here is Christ. That's a big deal. And and it affects me as a father, as I watch her coming to terms with what the Eucharist means, with the fact that, yes, it still looks like bread and it still tastes like bread and it still looks like wine and tastes like wine, and yet it has become Christ. That's That's the kind of awe I need to approach it with. Not with this materialistic understanding of the world and of how things are put together, but because that's really not what the Eucharist is about, but with this understanding of, of reality, of heavenly realities, uh, you know so many people think that the world is all that we can see, feel, touch, smell and sense and yet this world uh, that we experience it's very real but it's it's only part of of the, it's like part of the complete breakfast. It's only part of the real world. So the way I explained it to her is, you know, I've got a chair that I sit in on a regular basis, and it's a chair not because of what it's made of, but because of what it is. There is an isness to the chair that I can look at and say, hey, that's a chair. And that chair could be made out of leather. It could be made out of, uh, of wood. It could be made out of concrete. And I'd still look at it and say, that's a chair. And so, too, uh, the bread... Uh, and the wheat are those things, those ancillary properties to the Eucharist. They are not that which makes it what it is, the isness of the thing. Rather, those are the things uh, that, that are ancillary to it. And so the Eucharist, uh, that this, this thing used to be bread because what it was, the isness of it was bread. But now, even though it still has the same properties, even though it still consists of wheat, it's more than the sum of its parts. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, now this, this thing has changed. The isness has been replaced. The isness of bread and wine has been transformed entirely, transubstantiated entirely into body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. The substance, the isness has changed. And so that's what we receive, this, this blessed Eucharist, this gift of sacramental grace that comes to us. Enjoy it. Say an alleluia and praise to God this week. Receive the Eucharist like a seven-year-old. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Chuck Neff, host of The Inner Life on Relevant Radio, about spiritual direction and much more. Join us over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we examine the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm Timothy Putnam, your host, and today we have the great pleasure of talking with Chuck Neff. He's the host of The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. You can hear that each weekday at uh, 12 Eastern, 11 Central, either at your local Relevant Radio station or on RelevantRadio.com. Chuck, thanks so much for being on the show today.
1: Timothy, my pleasure. How are you doing?
0: I'm quite well. So here we are. We're in the, the end of the second week of Easter. We spent all of Advent, way back when, focusing on the fact that all is not right with the world. But, but that it can be, and that Christmas and the Incarnation shows us the, the way that that happens, that, that all is set right with the world, that justice and peace rule. And then we come to Lent, where then we turn and recognize that all is not right with myself. And now here we are in Easter, where we know that it can be through, uh, through the, the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross— that he's made a way for us to be in relationship with God. And so here we find ourselves. We spent the last uh, six weeks focusing on our own fallenness. And I brought you on the show today because I want to talk a little bit about how do we go about, now that we've recognized our fallenness, beginning to improve our our relationship with God. And you've got this weekly show where you, you do basically invite priests from all around the country to come and give spiritual direction, kind of get people used to the idea of spiritual direction, in a radio format so the first thing that i want to know is when did you in your life uh, come to the place where you realized that going it on your own was not enough and you needed to engage a spiritual director
1: well it was uh, pretty much of an evolution just in terms of i'm a convert to the faith and uh, my wife uh, was a cradle catholic and grew up catholic and we got married in the church and it just seemed i always wanted to worship uh, with uh, as a family and so one thing led to another and came into the church actually while we were living in the uh, in chicago and uh, one thing led to another and it was just kind of an evolution and i say an evolution but it was probably just a deeper and deeper experience of god in my life and not wanting to settle for what I had, that there had to be more than that uh, in that relationship, and so one thing just kept leading to another, and it just has become a, a deep and personal relationship. And so it's been kind of ongoing in terms of of needing needing God in my life. And I just remember, uh, oh, many years ago, I was a TV news broadcaster um, reporter for you know, about 15 years, and my way out of out of that was really a turn. To God, knowing that if uh, I was going to do this, if my wife Judy and I were going to do this with four small children, we needed to have God in the equation. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably when we uh, really invited Him into into our life, and um, and things kind of kind of went from there. So that's probably probably the moment when I realized uh, I, I needed more than just uh, you know my little flimsy ideas of what to do.
0: Right, so how did you go about this first time? You're you're brand new into this realization that you can't go it alone. Uh, how did you go about finding your first spiritual director?
1: Well, we get uh, on the inner life. We get asked that question a lot, and so there's a little bit of a of a formula that I've kind of developed over the years. But uh, first of all, it takes time. Mm-hmm. Don't expect to go up and find a priest or someone else to be your spiritual director tomorrow afternoon. So, but what I always tell people is start with your parish priest and you're not asking him to be your spiritual director. You are telling him that you are interested in spiritual direction and does he know anyone who might help And so you you take all the pressure off of him. He may say, gosh, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. Well, you've solved your problem. That's not a problem. But uh, generally what happens is he will recommend one or two people. And I remember my uh, pastor at the time recommended a couple of uh, priests, and um, they were busy or one just didn't feel right, quote unquote, feel right. And so I just kept pursuing uh, the journey. And uh, a friend of mine uh, went to a particular priest and uh, he said, oh, he's really good. And so I ended up calling uh, Father uh, Meyer and uh, he said yes. And so that that began the journey into into formal spiritual direction. We meet about about once a month and so. That's how it was for me. And the big thing is, again, I'm going to say it again, recognize that it may take some time. Now, the other thing we'll hear is, gosh, our parish priests are so busy. And yes, you're right, they are. So as you think about a priest, maybe order priests, you know, mm-hmm. where we live, we have uh, Jesuit priests. Uh, there are Carmelite priests, there are priests who... Uh, in different orders who, one, want to do spiritual direction, two, aren't as busy as your parish priest, and they sometimes can be a great resource as a spiritual director. Now, I say that, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that spiritual directors are trained in many dioceses and archdioceses, so there are deacons, there are um, uh, religious sisters, there are laymen and women who also offer spiritual direction. Now, so don't lose sight of that, but also recognize that that's how they make their living. Right. And so in many cases, they have to charge a stipend to be your spiritual director. But uh, there's um, a good number of people who are trained in it, who want to do it. And uh, it's a bit of a search, a bit of an of an adventure to do it, but it's, uh, my experience is, is gosh, has it been worthwhile? Mm-hmm.
0: If you're just joining us, you're welcome to outside the walls. We're talking with Chuck Neff right now about spiritual direction. And you brought up an interesting point there, Chuck, uh, about it didn't feel right. You know, we, we tend to think of, uh, engaging in the faith as if it were a, a formula. If I just do X, Y, and Z, everything will work out. But in the sense that you're approaching a spiritual director, you're sharing very intimate portions of your life and they are uh, doing the same thing. They're sharing intimate aspects of the faith. Uh, we would never expect that you go, you, first blind date, you say, hey, would you marry me? Right? There's this this Correct. growing in intimacy and, and getting to know the person and knowing if there's really a, a fit there, if if the charism of that priest, or or the focus of their ministry, is something that fits with the the focus and direction of of your own life,
1: well, that's exactly right. And again, it's um, it's a matter of of uh, they need to be be honest with you in terms of moving in the right direction, not moving in the right direction, try this, try that. So, yes, there's, a, there's a, an element of trust, but there's also this uh, element of, of intimacy where you can really uh, openly walk into the depths of your heart and your own journey of faith to be able to, to share that with someone else who is going to direct you, and uh, th- that, that's so important.
0: Now, let's talk for just a moment, Chuck, about the difference between spiritual direction and pastoral counseling, because a lot of people would equate those two things, and, and they're very different processes.
1: Well, and I don't know too much about pastoral counseling. I can tell you that in terms of spiritual direction, I'm just looking for help on the journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some days I get up and uh, probably fall flat on my face, and there's other times when I'm walking down the road and don't know what to do. And uh, so my spiritual director becomes a, a source of uh, direct uh of uh, intervention, if I can use that word, but in terms of, of getting, getting into the journey and saying, yes, you're on the right track or try this or, or try something else, but also saying, you know what, step back away from that. Don't, mm-hmm. don't do that. Have you thought about this? So basically a spiritual guide who can, as you're walking your own journey, he's there to just, uh, walk, uh, walk next to you and, uh, point out the, the potential pitfalls, uh, the uh whatever might be in the road the obstacles the roadblocks and uh, you know kind of give you a way around it or a way through all of that so for me my spiritual director um he's a, he's an incredible listener i can i'm every time you know and we'll meet oh anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes sometimes an hour but it's not all that long but i'll mention something at the beginning of our little get together and Thirty minutes later, he's bringing up the exact same thing, pointing back to it to say, "You know, when you did that, uh, here's here's what's happening." So he's a great listener, mm-hmm. and it's really it's really not so much about solving your problems, but it's about listening and providing direction on on this roadmap.
0: Right. So here you are. You've you've experienced this spiritual direction in your own life. Somehow, someone or or through the gift of the holy spirit uh, nudging you you decided hey let's introduce a wider audience to the concept of spiritual direction why don't we do a live radio show uh, explain to me that moment that that spark of inspiration when you first coming out of broadcasting and, and television network you've said hey let's let's jump on the radio let's talk about spiritual direction
1: well i had done a little bit of radio in my uh, in my television career And I I didn't like it at all. I mean, I'm (laughs) telling you, I didn't like it. And so Relevant Radio approached me about doing a program. And I thought, no, oh, I don't know if I want to do that or not, but I thought, oh, well, what the heck, let's try this. And, uh, Timothy, I got to tell you, I feel like I was born to do this. Mm-hmm. Everything everything I've ever done, from our production business to television to interviewing people to learning how to listen and follow up, and it's like it all came together in, in this radio show. So it's just been providential, if I can use that word. And so we had no idea if it was going to work, but 10 years later, Wow, has it been a good idea, the, yeah. the letters we get, um, people calling in and being so appreciative of the priest just sharing part of his, his own life, uh, his own crosses he was bearing. You could hear it in the callers, the hope they received Um, from hearing that story. And to me, that's the key to what we do. We try to share stories, our own stories, but we also try to get our listeners and even our priests to share their stories. Because, Timothy, I got to tell you, we go through life thinking we're the Lone Ranger. Nobody could be as angry as I am or as upset as I am or as afraid as I am. And the reality is we are all alike.
0: We are all alike. And our stories give one another strength we're going to continue this conversation with Chuck Neff, host of the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. For more information, go to relevantradio.com. In the meantime, join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And tell me your story. I want to hear from you. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of the faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam we got a great show today as we are talking with Chuck Neff, veteran broadcast journalist who's currently the host of The Inner Life on the Relevant Radio Network. You can listen to him every weekday, uh, 12 Eastern, 11 Central, on your local Relevant station. Or if you don't have one, then no problem. You can get it on the Relevant Radio app, which you can download over at RelevantRadio.com. There's any number of ways to listen, and they all involve the words Relevant Radio. Chuck, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Yeah, you bet, Timothy. My pleasure.
0: So we were talking in the last segment about your your program on spiritual direction called the Inner Life, and through that uh, you had some interactions with folks who were experiencing uh, maybe some crisis in their own life uh, and in their own marriages. And through through those interactions, you came up with this this beautiful idea of uh, of telling stories, telling the stories of marriage, which I think are so vitally important. Because our our culture and the way that it's set up and the more connected we become with social media, the more dependent we are on technology, the further away we get from the stories that connect us all. Uh, At the end of the last break, you were talking about how people feel as if they're the only ones that are experiencing the specific hardships. And so it's through the power of stories that we feel our connectedness to one another and we, we find the hope to go on. So you've got this new endeavor that I want you to tell me about where you're telling the stories of, of marriage and success in marriage. Talk a little bit about how this came about and what your vision is for it going forward.
1: Well, uh, first of all, uh, my wife, Judy, and I were involved in Worldwide Marriage Encounter for a good number of years as a presenting teen couple. We also helped uh, start Retrovi in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. So we've been involved and we've worked with engaged couples. So we've been involved in marriage ministry for uh, quite a while. And one of the things I've, I promised on the inner life was, one, we would talk about the sacraments and, in particular, marriage, and that I was going to be honest and so um, about it. So I, when I'm on the program, when we talk about marriage, I talk about the good things that we're all involved in and I talk about the the not so good things that, you know, that's all part of marriage and it is all part of marriage, everyone. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so I would just tell honest stories and then I started getting feedback from listeners who would, would uh, one told me in person, one emailed me, just uh, two of my favorites and both of them basically said the same thing. Chuck, you saved my marriage. And I said, well, these priests on the programs are are really incredible. And they said, no, 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 Chuck, you did. And I thought, well, my gosh, what are we doing? And I realized that what I was doing was just telling stories, and people were resonating with that. And so it just said to me, you know what? We've got to tell stories of married couples, the good stuff and the not-so-good stuff and let other married couples know they're okay yeah. that they're everybody every married couple is going to go through disillusionment the the moment when you say my gosh what was i thinking <laughs> why did i marry him why did i marry her and well you married each other because you love each other and but you get to those points where you're just going to say oh my gosh what are we thinking about but this series it's called the promise uh It's just telling stories of married couples so other married couples can very directly know that they are okay. We say in our marriage vows, good times and bad times. We don't say bad times because bad times might happen. Bad times do happen. And so what are we going to do with that? So this series is just a series of stories of married couples designed to tell other married couples that, that they're okay. Stick with it. Keep loving one another, even when you don't feel like it.
0: Well, you know, we, we look at uh, marriage where we're Im- impacted by our culture. First of all, most of, uh, statistics say that most of us are growing up in broken homes today. And so we don't have those pictures of a solid marriage. A lot of, uh, a lot of the people in our culture, specifically those who are approaching marriage today, I interacted with people who did not could not name in their twenty five, thirty years of life a single positive example of marriage, of one that stayed together despite the bad times. And and so this idea of one being vulnerable with people you've never met, we like to put our best foot forward and oh yeah. Make everyone think that we are the 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 pinnacle and paragons of of righteousness and holiness and never never a, a wary thought crosses our mind. Uh, And yet it's in that vulnerability and in that realism of saying, Hey, this is what we went through as a couple that the other finds hope and uh, really finds life.
1: That's exactly right. And when uh, my, my vision of this, uh, again, it's called the promise it's, it's that other married couples will, will see it and find hope in their own life. If they can make it, if they can do it, then we can make it and we can do it. And married couples just need to know that because I think we get, we tend to give up too easily on, on who we are as married couples.
0: Well, I think it's partly, we have this idea of love. You know, when we, when we get engaged, when we are in those early years of marriage, we're in a very affective relationship. We we have an emotional response to the other person and, and that aids us and gives us support in overlooking some of the negative things. But as that begins to wane, uh, as we get a little bit more familiar with our spouse, uh, I think that that can create um, the illusion that, oh, well, now I'm, now I'm having to muscle through this on my own. I don't have the same emotional responses that I used to have. And we can get very easily discouraged.
1: Absolutely. And, and that's uh, the disillusionment part of who we are. And, um, it, and, and it, it doesn't last. It, people work through disillusionment. They find the joy of what it's all about being married. And so, so that's um, really what our hope is, that uh, other couples will see these stories and, and then just say, yes, we can do this too. And then find hope in their own marriage. That, uh, and we produced a pilot. We're in the process of producing four more that are going to air on EWTN over the summer. But the pilot program, uh, if your listeners want to see it, they can go to the website, we said I do forever.com. We said I do forever.com. The story of this uh, young couple, seven kids, and, um Christy and Steve. And Christy walks us very directly into her battle with cancer.
0: Well, I'll tell it's you, it's
1: pretty amazing.
0: As, as I started watching the episode, Chuck. Uh, I, it started off with, oh, well, they met at a Christian college and they were both had active faith lives and they, you know, now he's working in youth ministry and I'm thinking, okay, well, it's going to be one of those. And very quickly they get <laughs> into the place where they say, and here's where it got really, really hard. And, and I appreciated the, that vulnerability that one, they as a couple had, and two, you as a producer decided to put in there, uh, to really draw people in and say, Hey, this is in the best of couples this is going to happen. You're going to have difficulty.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so, again, I just want other married couples to know, I want married couples to know, we need you. Mm-hmm. We need you to be husbands and wives. We need you to love one another. We need you to fight for your relationships. We need you to be who you are in our Catholic Church. Families are the the foundation. We all know this. But families are the basis of this found of our church in our world, and we need married couples to fight. I mean literally fight for their marriages.
0: And not necessarily fight in them, although that that sometimes Cor- happens. That will happen. That will happen, but to <laughs> fight for them. We're talking with Chuck Neff, uh, producer of this great series that you can find over at We Said I Do dot com. Uh, so we're talking about marriage. We're talking about spiritual direction. We find out, hey, things are a little rocky. I need a little bit of help to get through this individually. And we, we've talked about spiritual direction in the last segment, but I also need some help to get through this, uh, in my relationship with my spouse. You mentioned that you yeah. helped bring about retrovi into your area. You also yeah. did worldwide marriage encounter. Talk about how your involvement in those programs, uh, has affected your own marriage and, and what those programs can do uh, for those who are listening today.
1: Well, I can tell you the marriage encounter weekend was the best thing my wife Judy and I ever did. So any of you in our listening audience and uh, for you guys out there, I can tell you, your wives want to go Quit dragging your feet and take them on a marriage encounter weekend. It's all about you. It's all about you and making you better. Mm -hmm. And I just hope, uh, and that's what we saw. We, we started walking with couples who challenged us, who called us, uh, to, to fight and, uh, and, and to, to work for our marriage. I remember we went over to some friends one night and, uh, we walked in and, and they said, well, how are you doing? And we saw we're doing fine. And they looked at us and they said, well, it doesn't look like you're doing fine. And well, we weren't. So we were in the middle of a fight and they said, well, what's going on? And we, and I literally remember Timothy, Judy and I turned to one another and it's like everything went out of focus. Mm-hmm. And It was just the two of us and we fought over whatever we were fighting about. Judy got so mad with me. She got up and she rushed out of the house and went out and sat in the car. I sat back and I said to myself, I won. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I looked over at our friends and they were just sitting there looking at me and they just kind of motioned to me. You need to go out and finish the fight. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it took a big deep breath and I went out and Judy and I sat in the car and we continued to fight, and we healed the hurt. Mm-hmm. And that's what married couples need to do. They need to know that they need to, yes, we will fight with one another, but we need to fight for our marriages. Right.
0: You can find information about both Retrovi and Worldwide Marriage Encounter at that same website. We said I'd do forever. There are links to those, at, uh, We said I do forever.com. And both of those programs are there for your enrichment. You get away from the kids. You spend a weekend together and through a process, through a curriculum, you learn about one another that maybe you've forgotten uh, in the busyness of work and in the busyness of kids. It brings you to a place where you can again look past your arguments and to the person, the person that you married. We've been talking today with Chuck Neff. He's the host of The Inner Life over on Relevant Radio, RelevantRadio.com. He also is the producer of this brand new series called We Said I Do Forever. WeSaidIDoForever.com. Well, we're going to continue our conversation, you and I, just after this break. Join me over on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And tell me, when it was that you fell in love with your spouse. We'll be right back, right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, so glad that you're here today. We've had a great show. We've been talking with uh, Chuck Neff. He is the host of the relevant radio program, The Inner Life, which is all about spiritual direction. We talked a little bit about his experience with spiritual direction and the power of a story. We've talked a little bit about his own marriage and his desire to help others grow in their love for one another and to grow in love for their spouse. Uh, If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with someone else, have no fear. It's all archived right over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Uh, You can also go to your Apple Store, your Android, um, Google Music Store, any of your podcast aggregators. Type in Outside the Walls, find this show, and subscribe. It's as easy as that. It comes straight to your phone. And uh, and you don't even have to think about it. It just pops up, and you click play, and we can have this fun conversation together. (laughs) So we've talked a little bit about today, going from recognizing we're in the midst of Easter and and growing in our spiritual life individually, and growing in our spiritual life as as a person who's married. Now I want to talk to you because today is also the feast day for Saint Catherine of Siena, and there is this absolutely beautiful uh, pouring out of her heart to her true love, Catherine of Siena. This beautiful uh, story, Doctor of the Church, beautiful. Uh, f- servant of God, and she has this dialogue on divine providence that we're going to read today because she's, this is her love letter. She's pouring out her heart uh, to her deepest love. And even if you're not uh, a Catholic sister, even if you could never be a Catholic sister because either you're married or you're uh, a guy or, <laughs> or any other kind of thing like that, you can still share this same passion that she had. You know, that's the whole point of the saints is as we look at their lives and we witness their, their fervor and their zeal for the love of God, we can say, hmm, that looks intriguing. I think I want some of that. And so let's together, let's take a listen to this Dialogue on Divine Providence by St. Catherine of Siena, Doctor of the Church. Eternal God Eternal Trinity, you have made the blood of Christ so precious through his sharing in your divine nature. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find. The more I find, the more I search for you, but I can never be satisfied. What, what I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an even greater hunger and I grow more famished for your light I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. I have tasted and seen the depth of your mystery and the beauty of your creation with the light of my understanding. I have clothed myself with your likeness and have seen what I shall be. Eternal Father, you have given me a share in your power and the wisdom that Christ claims is his own, and your Holy Spirit has given me the desire to love you. You are my creator, eternal Trinity, and I am your creature. You have made of me a new creation in the blood of your Son, and I know that you are moved with love at the beauty of your creation, for you have enlightened me. Eternal Trinity, Godhead, mystery deep as the sea, you could give me no greater gift than the gift of yourself, for you are a fire ever-burning and never-consumed, which itself consumes all the selfish love that fills my being. Yes, you are a fire that takes away the coldness, illuminates the mind with its light, and causes me to know your truth. By this light, reflected as it were in a mirror, I recognize that you are the highest good, one we can neither comprehend nor fathom. And I know that you are beauty and wisdom itself the food of angels. You gave yourself to man in the fire of your love. You are the garment which covers our nakedness, and in our hunger you are a satisfying food, for you are sweetness, and in you there is no taste of bitterness, O triune God. That's a dialogue on divine providence by St. Catherine of Siena that we read in the breviary today on her feast day. So as you go to mass, take with you a little bit of this seven-year-old, my daughter, who's receiving First Communion for the first time. Take with you, the, take with you this desire to grow in your spiritual life, to maybe seek out a spiritual director. Take with you the desire to grow in love for your spouse as a sign as, a, as, a, as an icon of the Trinity, of the love of Christ and his church. And take with you this, this passion of St. Catherine of Siena, maybe even ask for her intercession today to help you a little bit more fully appreciate what it means for God to have done what he did at Easter, See, that's why we celebrate for 50 days is to really get our heads around so great a sacrifice that Christ made for us that he would love us so much. It's hard for us to think of that, specifically at, at the end of Lent because we've spent so much time looking at how unworthy we are for Christ's love. And yet here we are, the recipients of Christ's love. This is it. And so we together journey together in hope toward this this gift the eucharist this this divine life that's provided to us christ himself nourishing us and as he does this we shouldn't be the same when we leave this isn't something that the eucharist is oh well you go to mass on sunday and and you try to stay awake from Father's homily. And then we do the same thing over and over again. And you try and shush the kids. And if you make out with your, make it out at the end with your life, you're lucky. Quite the opposite. We get to participate in the divine drama. We get to see Christ offering himself on our behalf for our sins, to take our sufferings, upon himself, as we talked about the last couple of weeks. And in that, we receive, we don't get out with our life, right? We get out with Christ's life. We get out fed and nourished by the divine life. We become partakers in his nature, just as he partook in our nature by becoming man. So here we are leaving mass, not as a people wearied from saying the same things over again, just grateful that our kids are now going to be not embarrassing us, right? No, we leave Mass nourished and changed, and strengthened for the next week, strengthened uh, for for that time that, gosh, we need God's grace. You know, for me, Mass is not just that thing that I do on Sunday. Mass is, I need the presence of God. To make it through my next week, I need some assurance, some uh, certainty, some some hope that I'm not going to be left to my own devices over the course of the next week. And so, for me, as I go to mass, and yes, I I I get distracted. And I look at my kids, and I'm I'm figuring out how am I? You stop this. We've taught we I've trained you better than this. You know this, right? I look at my kids and and I try to train them how to be in mass. But, but even so, even with all of the distractions, I know that at the end of it, Christ comes to me. And so this is this is the pinnacle. This is the source of our faith, and this is the summit of our faith. this participation in the Eucharist, this celebration of the resurrection and the, the redeeming work of Christ, the victory of Christ. And and this is what we're in for. So I hope that as you come to mass this week, I hope that you have maybe a different idea. And, you know, here's the thing. Maybe you aren't there. You're just not there. You, You hear this and maybe it sounds great to you, but you just have no idea of how to get there, how to get past the fact that your kids are driving you nuts in the pew and everyone else, how to get past the fact that you just feel dry and alone. You don't feel connected to the people who are sitting next to you. Uh, As he talked about uh, in that first segment of the interview, he said, you know, everyone feels like they're the only ones, but we are all alike. We all have these struggles and sometimes it's just all we can do to say, I don't have what Catherine of Siena had in this, in this just gorgeous crying out to God, desire for his mercy. I don't have this. I can't say to God the things that she said to him, but I want it. I want to have that. And that sometimes is all you can muster. And really that's enough. Because Christ will meet you right where you are. He'll meet you in the desire. And that is sometimes enough. It's the start of the journey. So, that's all the time we have for this week. And next week, I'm going to help you on that next part of the journey, right? Next, that, that, that next part, you've, you know that you want the presence of God but your kids are driving you nuts and you don't know how to get them to behave in mass. You don't know how to get them to behave anywhere. (laughs) Don't worry. We are all alike. (laughs) This is You Are Not Alone. Next week, we'll be talking with Dr. Ray Garendi, father of 10, clinical psychologist, author, and and much, much more. And gosh, uh, he'll help us. You and I. He'll help us. Got a brand new book out called Advice Worth Ignoring that we're going to talk about next week. Next week. So don't miss it. Tune in. Outside the Walls is made possible by the generous contributions of our friends of the show heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio, and podcast. For more information and show times, go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you.